Welcome to Season 3 of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. Great to be back in the podcast chair, particularly as this season we've expanded to 10 episodes over the next 10 weeks. As with the first two seasons, we've arranged a wide range of interview subjects and topics relevant to electric vehicles that I know will engage, educate, and entertain you. We're kicking things off hot on the heels of Tesla's big battery day announcement yesterday and this morning's global reveal of Volkswagen's ID4, an all-electric that will be for sale in Canada in a year's time. To help us get a better understanding of the relevance of Tesla's new battery technology and its repercussions for not just the automaker but the EV industry at large, I'm joined by Dan Blondal, the founder and CEO of Vancouver-based Nano One, a battery technology company with a patented process for the production of low-cost, high-performance cathode powders used in lithium-ion batteries. Here's my interview with Dan. Okay, Dan, so thanks for joining us today. As an engineer, I'm sure you're itching to start talking about battery day. But a a question before we do that, uh, one I like to ask all my guests, what was the first electric vehicle you ever drove? I guess I drove a Leaf yep. in the very kind of early days, and I now drive a Chevrolet Bolt. Nice. So I bought I bought one. I've, I've been a proud owner of one of those for three and a half years now. Love it. So your impressions of driving that first Leaf? I mean, uh, what what impressed you about it? What made you think perhaps this might be the future? You know, the acceleration, of course, is fun. The um, quietness is amazing, and really, just the no hassles. There's no muffler to fall off the thing. There's no oil to change. There's no maintenance. Um, I couldn't love, love that any more than that. Right. And one of the things, I drove stick most of my life, and it was a big shift for me to go to an automatic vehicle. I love the one pedal and, and sort of aggressive regenerative braking. Yeah, the Bolt in particular has that great uh, uh, paddle shifter kind of uh, regen system, which is yeah. like like a downshift, essentially. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that, actually. Yeah. That appeals to me. And, and yeah, those are the things that really, really make a difference. Okay, let's go on to uh, Tesla's battery day, which took place last night. There were a couple of announcements in terms of cars. Elon Musk talked about the $25,000 car, which he has talked about before, and he hopes to get that going. And also he announced this $140,000 Model S Plaid, which is a super fast, super powerful car. But being the guest that we have today, your expertise is the technology of batteries. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. And there were a few elements during the presentation. It was called Battery Day. It wasn't called Car Day. So First off, one of the things he announced was this idea that Tesla wants to make tabless batteries, which he said will improve the vehicle's range by 16% and increase power by up to six times. So what exactly is a tabless battery and why is that an improvement over the current battery? Everything Tesla talked about a battery was about cost savings and the challenges of scale up. And obviously, they're hedging the challenges that are there in front of them, and uh, they've got a long way to go on a lot of fronts. But the tabless battery, uh, to me, is a, is a really strong innovation. So most batteries have these kind of foils in them that the electrodes are coated on, and you get the electrons out of those foils by this little tab welded to the foil. And the problem is that the electrons have to travel through that tab and all the way through the foil and the rolls in the foil to get to the inner parts of the battery. What they've done, essentially, it's not so much tabless. Basically, they fold these foils over on top of each other at each end of the battery and create effectively one massive tab. And it's a really innovative advancement because it creates much shorter pathways for the electrons. And uh, look, I don't want to get too detailed for everyone on your <laughs> podcast, but yeah. those electrons, when they're flowing through the wires or through the copper foils, there's resistance there and, the, and it generates heat. 
And by having shorter pathways, you have less heat buildup, but you also create a short pathway for the heat to flow. So you can actually then flow all the heat from in that cell out to the ends of the cells. And uh, by doing that, you can cool the whole battery pack from the top and bottom rather than from within the battery pack. And then that allows them to take these Coke can-sized battery cells that they're talking about and pack them really closely and take advantage of the structural strength of the cans themselves, glue them together along their edges, and make a really strong ultralight honeycomb structure. And that's what gives them a light battery, probably with better thermal management and a much bigger battery cell simply because the electron pathways have been shortened. That's what leads to everything you're talking about, and it's a very innovative approach. Tesla is known as a technology company, almost more so than a car company. Its long-term battery relationship has been with Panasonic, and there were signals from this battery day yesterday that they're, I won't say dissolving that, but they're moving some of their production in-house on batteries. Is that a big deal? Yeah, look, they're going to keep their existing suppliers and they're going to build this stuff up. We've seen similar kind of announcements from other players. BYD in China made a similar announcement this year about the production of their blade battery and they're going into large scale production already with it. Same kind of approach. They've integrated the battery for the car and they're able to pack way more of them into a cell and provide all the structural strength that's needed to lighten up the car. So it's very clear that Tesla had to go in that direction, as will actually most other automotive OEMs. They're going to have to design their cells, um, and they're going to be kind of building them almost directly into the frame and building structure to them. That's the only way to lighten things up. And to do that, you got to go into cell manufacturing. So it makes total sense what they're doing and the direction they're going. Right. I'm always struck by Tesla because they're very transparent about their technology. They're going out there and telling other competitors, this is what we've done with our battery. Whereas other battery suppliers and, and OEMs or automakers are extremely secretive about it. Is it a form of hubris in a sense that Tesla just thinks we're leading the pack and will continue to and uh, here's how we're doing it? Well, yeah, look, I agree. In some senses, they're very, very transparent about that. And I think that's wherever they can actually apply their economic muscle and their mass, their momentum towards accelerating this stuff because no one can keep up. At the end of the day, they're innovating at a pace right now that's very, very difficult to keep up with. That's where they have an advantage. So talking about their technology gets their shareholders and fan club very excited and gets investors very excited and kind of drives a path. Where they're weak in that regard is they were talking about uh, lithium mining. And frankly, it's completely inexplicable what they were talking about. There, they provide no details. So when they don't provide details, often it's just going to be, it's spin. Yeah. And uh, But in, in terms of the battery here, I think they provided enough details here that it is a very strong story. And, and I think a very good response to what we see going on elsewhere in the battery design world. Another thing uh, Musk talked about was that Tesla plans to eliminate the use of cobalt in its cathodes. Why is that a priority? I know Nano One um, is is heavily involved in cathode technology. So why get rid of cobalt? So replacing cobalt addresses concerns over the security of supply and exposure um, to ethical issues. If you listen to their whole presentation yesterday, there was a big blurb about sort of child labor issues in the Congo related to the mining of cobalt. Yeah, sixty percent of the world's cobalt comes from the Congo, and notwithstanding the child labor and ethical issues, there's tremendous amount of geopolitical uncertainty there. And uh, the Congo turns off the cobalt tap every four years, every time there's an election. So automotive makers don't like that supply chain risk. They can't bet their factories on there being enough cobalt to supply them. So everyone's trying to wean themselves off cobalt. Right. The problem is that cobalt's a stabilizing element. And I think they pointed that out in the presentation yesterday. And removing it, essentially, to use their analogy, uh, makes the bookshelves very unstable. 
and it reduces the durability. So you take all the cobalt out and your cells won't cycle more than a few times before they're completely dead. So uh, you got to replace that cobalt with other additives like manganese and aluminum, but that isn't typically enough. So you need to apply coatings to each one of the grains of powder, titanium or niobium coatings that prevent those uh, the underlying nickel from dissolving and failing inside the battery. And then you have to structure each one of those grains so that they're completely crystalline. They're one solid crystal. And all of that is needed to gain back all this lost durability from getting rid of the cobalt. So some big challenges out there. Interestingly enough, Tesla didn't mention the million mile battery, which has been talked about a bunch, or the single crystal technology, which their base has been talking a lot about. I think that's because their solution on that is still locked up in academia. We have two cobalt-free cathode materials, and we have one low-cobalt-coated single crystal material that is uh, economically viable and addresses these very concerns. So we're very much focused in that area. Who would be your customers for that? Would Tesla be looking for third parties like yourself to team with? We kind of tackle the market from both ends of the supply chains. We're partnered right now with Volkswagen, and we're working with a number of their peers in the market uh, place right now. And that's to define what these next generation materials look like um, and what will go into these next generation batteries. Ultimately, our technology, which is process related, has to do with how you put lithium, nickel, manganese, and cobalt together into a cathode material. Our customers would be the refiners or the chemical producers or the materials producers that are uh, upstream of Tesla. But you need to work with the OEMs to define this next generation material. And then you need to work with the raw material suppliers um, to, to deliver those materials. So we're working kind of at both ends of the supply chain, one to create demand and one to address the supply. So back to Tesla's battery day. Uh, another thing that was mentioned was this idea of building a new cathode plant for its batteries in North America. Yep. So is that, I mean, they, they have a battery plant. How is this different? Today, they have a battery plant where they assemble a bunch of cells that Panasonic and LG and, uh, make for them. Uh, and they're obviously going to start making their own cells now, this kind of Coke can size thing, the tablet battery that they described. And then to feed that, um, they're looking into uh, making cathode materials as well. And uh, Tesla's proposed strategy on that actually lends a lot of support to what we're doing at Nano One and our own raw material strategy. Actually, we made an announcement earlier in September on this. And basically, by going direct, by using kind of non-sulfate sources of metal and going direct into a cathode powder, the idea is to eliminate the sulfate waste stream and a large amount of water that has to get shipped around with it. So uh, there's a bunch of waste water that has to be dealt with there. And it also eliminates a significant cost in making those metal sulfates um, the way they're made. I, th I think that it, it, it adds a, a very significant kind of double-digit cost boost to make these metal sulfates that cathode producers are typically using today. So we found a way to use all these kind of these, these non-sulfate sources, and, and that looks like where Tesla's going as well. We've got a sort of IP on that front. We recently filed patents on that, and we just hired an ex-valet, uh, a VP, uh, to uh, to kind of help us kind of nail down our nickel cobalt uh, strategies, and uh, and so we're fine tuning that and moving forward. But so, look, I totally understand where they're going with it because uh, it's very very much in our wheelhouse as well, and we are talking to uh, various people in the supply chain to figure out how we might make that happen. So you said a word in there that I was about to get to, and that is nickel. Yeah. That seems to be a word that is in the battery world. I won't say resurfaced, but it seems like the first gen, I mean, I remember the Prius. I mean, I think the Prius still uses nickel batteries in it. 
when lithium ion came on, suddenly nickel seemed like, uh, you know, the horse and buggy when it came to batteries. And now I'm hearing about it again. Is this part of the wastewater management or, or how does that fit in? Why is Musk making a big deal about uh, nickel and trying to source clean nickel? Let me sort out one misconception maybe um, that you brought up about the, the, the Prius and, and the nickel-based okay, battery. Sure. So Prius originally came out with a nickel metal hydride battery, right. um, a very, completely different technology. Okay. It's not lithium-ion related. But using nickel in it. It's got nickel in it, okay. thus nickel metal hydride. Uh, lithium-ion batteries also have nickel in them. Okay. So uh, actually, there are various forms of lithium-ion batteries. Um, so lithium, the way it works in, in a battery is you've got the two electrodes. Um, one of them uh, is made of graphite and moving more and more towards silicone. And the other one, the cathode, is typically made of nickel, manganese, cobalt, or iron and phosphorus. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of different flavors of those materials. And, and what happens is as you cycle the battery, lithium moves between those two materials inside the battery as electrons flow on the outside and turn the wheels. So the structures, the cathodes themselves are these metal or carbon-based structures, depending on which, which electrode you're on. So nickel has, uh, plays a very important role in it. So nickel is in both, the, both generations of those batteries, the nickel metal hydride and the lithium-ion battery. So it's always played an important role. Right. And cobalt is a stabilizing element for nickel. Okay. As you wean yourself off cobalt, you need more and more nickel, of course, and that's why there's so much excitement about it. But there are uh, environmental sustainability issues uh, to do with the feedstocks, how it's mined, how it's processed, what the waste streams are, and getting rid of those waste streams uh, uh, goes uh, straight to the bottom line for the OEMs because they're looking for ways to uh, reduce costs, but it also appeals to the whole necessity to reduce waste and improve the carbon footprint. So um, finding ways to do that requires you know, changing the, the types of materials you put into cathodes and therefore the types of materials that the refiners are going to put out. And finding a, a, you know, a good blend of that is partly what we're all about. And, and obviously, Tesla are thinking very heavily about it now as well. Is all this pointing to a new era of EV batteries? Yes. Are we there today? Are we there in a year? Um, obviously, with this technology, it's difficult for you to say when it will happen, but what's your sense? Well, listen, Tesla had a lot of caveats and, you know, they started out by talking about all of the scale up challenges um, to get to their terawatt factories, et cetera. And I think they laid out the various strategies they're taking to drive down costs. And I think that was a, it was a great approach. Um, they could be, you know, years away from bringing us this next generation battery pack. It is where it's going. And I've seen this coming for quite a while. The car manufacturers have to design the cell itself to fit the car rather than pulling something off the shelf, which, which is what Tesla has been doing up till now. And they were pulling a cylindrical cell off the shelf that could be made in large volumes and putting 7,000 of them into a battery pack and stringing a bunch of wires and thermal management stuff around it to, to make this pack work. Now they're starting to say, okay, um, we're far enough along the volume to break. Let's redesign the cell and the pack uh, to make it as efficient as possible in the car. BYD, as I said earlier, made an announcement this year on their LFP battery. And that's a lithium iron battery based on iron and phosphate. And they found a way, same thing. Theirs looks like a, a ski. It's this big, long, flat battery cell that all gets smushed together to make a really strong beam. And it allows them to pack way more lithium-ion materials between the, the wheels and, and improve the energy density and the driving range of their cars. So we're starting to see this emerge from all kinds of different manufacturers. 
it was already happening in consumer electronics. So, you know, Apple and Samsung have been designing their own batteries to fit their own applications, but we're now just starting to see it in the automotive uh, world. They're no longer using the off-the-shelf stuff. They're starting to design their own, and that will bring a whole new generation of batteries and, and energy density and range to the market. Final question for you, and one, again, I start and end with all my guests, is we're often told about a tipping point. You know, there's always this talk of an EV tipping point. Maybe not globally, but let's talk in Canada. In your mind, what is the metric for a tipping point? When you walk out your house and you see EVs or you sense sales, what in your mind is what will signal that we've reached this tipping point? I think it all comes down to cost. Being a driver of an electric vehicle, I never have worries about range. Um, and, and I think that's something that someone who's never driven one will have worries about. But ultimately, it's going to come down to the cost. Because as costs come down, it'll allow us to either buy bigger batteries if we have range anxiety, or it'll allow us to buy smaller batteries so we can get to the $25,000 car. That's where we're going to see the mass scale adoption. Not everyone's going to be buying fifty and $75,000 cars. Um, but uh, when you can get down under $30,000, that's when it'll start to make a difference. And the only way you get there is by having a small enough battery battery that's ultra durable because a smaller battery has to be charged more often. It has to be charged more often. That's going to stress the warranty. And um, the auto manufacturers have to be confident that they can give you a warranty and that battery is going to last long enough. And and it all comes down to the durability of the battery and the underlying chemistry. And, And that's a function of things like the heat management and the design of the pack. And again, the underlying chemistry inside it. But it's really just a dollars per kilowatt hour. Can you get that dollars per kilowatt hour down under $100? If that's the case, I think we'll start to see that tipping point. Right. And that's something Nano One, your company, is focused on. Absolutely. Uh, we're all about cost and manufacturing of these cathode materials and, and bringing more durability to the underlying materials so that uh, you get better cost of ownership. Everyone wants a battery that's going to last much, much longer because your, your total cost of ownership is better. You're going to get more energy out of that battery over its lifetime. That speaks to the warranty. That speaks to the durability. That speaks to consumer confidence. Um, those are all the things that are going to tip us into an EV future. Yeah. Great to see a Canadian company at the forefront of that. Thanks very much, Dan Blondell founder and CEO of Nano One. Thanks for joining us. Much appreciated, Andrew. Thank you for um, putting me in front of your audience. Thanks. I have to thank Dan for diving into battery technology in fairly plain spoken terms. Often you need a PhD to understand some of this stuff, but he did a great job of describing what Tesla is doing and why in ways we can all understand. As mentioned at the top, the big EV news apart from Battery Day this week was the global unveiling, albeit virtual, of the Volkswagen ID.4 earlier today. The all-electric compact SUV will be available in Canada next summer and will come in rear-wheel drive and all-wheel drive versions, the latter of which boasts 302 horsepower and a 0 to 100 km an hour time of under 6 seconds. The battery is an 82 kWh lithium-ion pack with 77 kilowatt hours usable and will allow for DC or fast charging up to 125 kilowatts. According to VW Canada, that translates to a 38 minute charge time from 5% to 80%. Canadian ID4 customers will also get free charging at all Electrify Canada stations for at least two years, according to VW Canada. Canadian Ranger pricing figures were not released, but in the United States, where pre-orders for the ID4 open today, Range is said to be about 250 miles, or just over 400 kilometers, with the price starting at $40,000 US. That range figure is great and very competitive, but that base price most likely will translate to over $45,000 Canadian, meaning the ID4 will not qualify provincial or federal rebates as they stand today. 
As to the direct competition, VW didn't name names, but did say it considered soon-to-be-released compact SUV EVs to be what the ID4 will be up against. One can assume that means the Ford Mach-E, the Volvo Recharge XC40, and the Polestar 2. VW and its affiliate brands, including Audi and Porsche, have announced to have 75 all-electric models for sale globally by 2029, with 3.3 billion euros invested in the technology by 2024, all of which bodes well for the EV revolution. That's it for this episode. Thanks to my guest Dan Blondell, producer extraordinaire Dar Makwana, editor Sean Carruthers, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedinpostmedia.com. For your daily dose of automotive news, views, and reviews, be sure to check out driving.ca. And be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and you'll also be able to listen to all the episodes from seasons one and two.